the thriving lawyers, the powerful attorneys, recognize when they make a mistake or when a mistake has been made by someone else. They don't take it desperately personally, and they deal with it. And that's the best way to handle it. Welcome back to the Thriving Lawyers podcast. Today we have, I'm going to be so repetitive when I introduce our guests from week to week because I'm always excited (laughs) about the guests we have. And I am today as well. We have Jay Reeves, who Chris and I met years ago doing a program for Lawyers Mutual of North Carolina and had wonderful conversations with him. And he continues to write a column for Lawyers Mutual that I read pretty religiously. And he's going to be wonderful. He has a lot to share about well-being and is a great storyteller. Jay, welcome. Michael, thank you. Thank you. It it is an honor to be on the Thriving Lawyer podcast. Thriving is such a a great word. It's a powerful word because so many lawyers, as you know, Michael, aren't thriving or they want to thrive more. So thanks so much for having me on today. Yeah. And just a minor correction to you, because I think this will be something we'll talk about today. The podcast is called Thriving Lawyers, plural, because we believe that lawyers can tend to isolate themselves on a good day, but if they're dealing with adversity, uh, even more so. And we believe that improved well-being is about lawyers individually focusing on self-care, but also about let's look at systemically how the legal profession can encourage uh, lawyers to be healthier and thrive better. But I completely agree with what you said about the fact that lawyers, many lawyers are not thriving. There's been certainly a lot of news about the substance abuse and substance dependence issues for lawyers. And, and that's certainly a problem. And there are many lawyers out there who don't, don't have substance issues, but aren't thriving. And that's the area that I want to look at with you. Jade, just a little sketch of your journey, where you're from, your practice as a lawyer, and and what you're doing now. Sure. I was born and raised in South Carolina, also known as the Lower Carolina. And I grew up in a small town in the low country of South Carolina. And I attended the finest law school in South Carolina at the time. (laughs) In fact, it was the only one at the time. My family and I moved to Chapel Hill, North Carolina in the late 80s. And I have been a practicing lawyer for 35 or so years that included a stint as as a risk manager at Lawyers Mutual, where I saw lots of interesting claims and train wrecks. And in, in my practice of law, I represented lawyers who were in trouble. I represented lawyers in licensing and disciplinary matters. My clients were attorneys who needed assistance, who needed help. I think my experience, it's brought some tools to what I do now with your law life, which is help lawyers thrive and succeed. Thriving Lawyers, what a wonderful podcast, because we've got a vested interest in our colleagues, not just ourselves, but Mm -hmm. the better you're doing, the better I'm doing. That's the way it works. The better the system is, the better we all are. So thanks again for having me. That's a little bit about my background. I think I've seen a lot. I've been around a lot of lawyers, so I'm glad to be here. You've got a lot of experience, both personally and, as you say, working with lawyers who have stepped in it either ethically, professionally, and much of it's due to personal struggles and stressors. I'll go to your experience first at uh, Lawyers Mutual. Was there a common theme that you noticed with the lawyers who were struggling? Well, what I saw there, and I was not a claims attorney, I I was the risk manager, but I worked with the lawyers who had claims. What I saw were problems that were on the surface. And by that, I mean, 
the lawyer might have missed a deadline or the lawyer might have been sued and lawyers mutual was involved in the defense. So I saw problems that were on the surface, but the longer I was at lawyers mutual, especially when I left lawyers mutual, opened my own practice and began representing lawyers who were in trouble, I saw that those were just the surface problems. And some of them could be dealt with pretty easily, some not. Some were big, big messes that had to be cleaned up. But underneath was almost invariably a deeper, much, much tougher problem to solve that sometimes the lawyer was unaware of. Nobody really knew what it was, whether it was unhappiness or just burnout or dis-ease or not caring anymore or just not thriving. And it was that deeper layer of problem that really interested me because the surface problem, missing a deadline, I mean, that that happens. But it was those sort of submerged issues that create unhappy law lives. So I wanted to turn it around. Well, how do you create a happy law life? How, mm-hmm. how do you create a wonderful law life? And, and what's your answer? Let's get right to it. I, I think I have the answer, Michael, not just mm-hmm. an answer. I think the answer is the story that you're telling. And I'm being a little glib by saying that is the answer. By that, I mean telling the right story. And you'll notice I use the word right because there's a wrong story, too. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I can tell you, we tell ourselves, at least I do, I tell myself a lot of wrong stories. But we tell our stories all the time. We're telling, I'm telling them to you right now. We tell them to our colleagues, our clients, the world, by our words, by our actions, The problem comes in when we're not even conscious or aware that we're telling them. That's when difficulty can arise or difficulty does arise. There is an approach to therapy with clients called narrative therapy. It's all about helping clients look at the story they're telling themselves and helping them change the influence of the story or or change the story itself. Can you give me examples either from your personal life or lawyers you worked with about the influence of story and how changing a story can be so helpful? I'll give you an example that I'll bet every listener has encountered well maybe not in the socially distanced time, but but usually we encounter almost every day. And that is you're having lunch with some people, let's say a friend or two. And one of the, the lunch guests shows up, maybe late, looking a little frazzled. And you say, oh, how's it going? How's your day going? And the response is, oh, terrible. You wouldn't believe <laughs> what it was like getting here. Well, that's a story right there. Everybody at that table has heard a story and it's not a very happy story. It's probably not one that that everyone's excited about spending the rest of the lunch talking about. But the person could have, I could have, if I was the one coming in and saying, oh, the traffic was terrible. I could have stopped outside. The traffic was still terrible. I'm still five minutes late, but I could have said, you know what? I'm going to tell a different story. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go in and open with a joke. That's how easy it is in, in some contexts to change the story. And wonderful things, wonderful things can happen. Transformations can occur when we change the story. Yeah. So that person who walked in and said, oh, man, it's been a terrible day, traffic, and I just lost a case. And, you know, it's been just misery. But they could change it to, oh, I'm excited to see you guys. Or, oh, I haven't been to this restaurant in so long. I'm, I'm really looking forward to having a, a good meal. Is that what you mean by changing a story or is it different? That's exactly what you mean. And you are the expert. I'm not the expert. I'm a, I'm a lawyer, I'm an inactive lawyer, a consultant lawyer now, a coaching lawyer. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly what I mean. Or, or you don't even have to say a thing. You could just say in your head, you know, mm-hmm. I had a terrible case. I lost the case. Yeah, That's a fact. But I'm going to put that over here on the shelf. You're saying this to yourself mentally. Right. And I'm going to right. walk in there and have a great time with my friends because they don't want to hear about how terrible I feel. So it can be a choice. 
Is it always easy? Of course not, because we're human. But I can tell you, if you walk in and you say, oh, it's just terrible, there's a good chance that everyone's going to pick up on that and it's going to spread. And the vibe is going to, yeah, me too, isn't it? It's terrible. What? Yeah, they keep expanding the roads and working on the highway. It's, it, it becomes perpetuating. So a positive story can also become perpetuating. can be incredibly helpful in the morning when you wake up to decide what story do I want to live in today. I know for me, I sometimes can wake up in the morning and just be very negative and just automatically go to the things that aren't working or something that happened the day before, something I'm not looking forward to today. And that can impact how I am approaching the day and how I am with others. So that's important to look at what kind of story do you want to live with when you wake up in the morning? Absolutely. The beginning of every story <laughs> is uh, quite important. And and you asked earlier about some of the sad stories that I saw as a practicing attorney <laughs> representing uh, attorneys who were in trouble with the state bar or had been sued or were going to lose their license or, or whatever. Very often they had a perpetually negative story. And mm-hmm. lawyers care a lot. They care for their clients. Most lawyers do. They care for their clients. And it's not easy to make a mistake, you know, and not mm-hmm. easy to say, oh, this happened because they're proud of what they do. So it's hard to bring yourself to tell a different story that, you know, I really screwed this up. That's and- right. And isn't that one of the main mistakes that lawyers make that get them to Lawyers Mutual, for example? They can't own up to the mistake they made. Almost always. The thriving lawyers the powerful attorneys recognize when they make a mistake or when a mistake has been made by someone else. They don't take it desperately personally and they deal with it. And that's the best way to handle it. The best way to deal with it, if you're a lawyer, it's pretty easy. It's to pick up the phone and call Lawyers Mutual and then it becomes mm-hmm. their problem. And, and already you've got somebody helping you with that problem. And I guarantee you it'll be better. But it's hard to get to that point, to pick up the phone and call, or even to face that you made a mistake, or even to open the letter. I, sure. I represented clients who had unopened letters. They couldn't even open the letter yeah. that delivered bad news. Yeah, it can be hard for lawyers to acknowledge that they're not perfect. Perfectionism certainly is one of the common traits that lawyers have, and also acknowledging vulnerabilities or mistakes. So that makes sense that some lawyers just wanted to ignore the problem. If I don't open it, it's not there. If I don't open that envelope. I want to share with you, back to stories just for a second. This discussion made me think of a Vietnamese, I guess, philosopher, Thich Nhat Hanh. Have you ever heard of him, Jay? I have, uh, okay. but, but not a lot. Okay. Well, he's written a number of books, and a lot of his books are just broadly involved the topic of mindfulness. And that's what we're talking about here, too, being yes, mindful yes. of the stories, right, that we tell ourselves about ourselves, but also that we tell ourselves about other people in our lives, our clients, our family, our friends, strangers, people in other groups. So he's written a lot of books on mindfulness. And this one, this book that I'm looking at right now is called Present Moment, Wonderful Moment. And the subheading is uh, Mindfulness Verses for Daily Living. And the very first mindfulness verse is called Waking Up. And it's real short. It's four lines. But to be frank with you, I haven't used this for myself in quite some time. And maybe I need to return to this one. But let me just read it quickly, Jay, and tell me what you think. Waking up this morning, I smile. 24 brand new hours are before me. I vow to live fully in each moment and to look at all beings with eyes of compassion. What do you think about that? And and how do you think that would impact you or, or someone to start their day with that story? Well, I think that story speaks to a level of truth and source that all of us are yearning for. And we all want to do the right things, I think. It's hard to do it. It's easier to stay awake, easier to stay in bed asleep 
The bed is nice and comfortable. Nothing can happen to me in the bed. You go outside, it's cold, it's dangerous, it's dark, you know. But I think the riches lie by waking up and going outside and having a great life, making it a great day. And nobody's going to do it if you're not going to do it. Nobody's going to knock on your door and say, hey, I'm here to give you a fantastic law life, you know. Yeah. I keep waiting for that person to show up at my door, but but I don't don't think they will. I think the lines you quoted, Michael, are beautiful. One problem the profession has had for a long time is we've paid a lot of attention to the head, but not enough to the heart and to the soul. Yes. Yes. And in my lifetime, I've seen it's an enormous change to where, you know, mindfulness course, you can get CLE, you get CLE credit. And and by the way, you should be. (laughs) In fact, you should get double CLE by going to classes like you do, Michael, because that's the real stuff. I mean, you can learn the rules. I mean, don't get me on a soapbox here, but um, (laughs) it's really encouraging to see the change that has happened in my lifetime, where now we talk about mindfulness awareness. I use the frame of story because I'm a writer. That's what I do. But really, I'm talking about the same thing. I'm talking about mindfulness, awareness, seeing who I am, what I'm doing in relation to myself and to others, keeping that in consciousness, living, living in my heart, do I love what I do? Am I happy with what I do? Because it will affect everybody that we touch. The good news is it's a simple concept to look at the story you're telling it yourself. And I do a lot of cognitive behavioral work with clients to look at the think, what are you thinking? And what beliefs do you have? And, and how those can impact your emotions and your behavior. And the good news is it just requires a change in thinking, a change in beliefs. And it's, it's hard to do. It, it requires a lot of practice. I think this is maybe a good segue into the book you've written called The Most Powerful Attorney in the World. Say a little bit about the book and why you wrote it and what's in there and how that can be related to what we're talking about here. The book is a collection of short stories and little essays about the life of a practicing lawyer and the ups and the downs, the observations of nearly 40 years of doing it. I had a blast writing these stories. I originally wrote them for one of my clients to use in their newsletter, and they became popular. And my client said, let's put them together in a book. And so we did. So I'm I'm so excited. And I'll say this, Michael, the title, The Most Powerful Attorney in the World, it is not an autobiography. This isn't about me. This is not a memoir. Far from it. It comes from one of the stories in the book. And the story Mm -hmm. arises from a misunderstanding, which is so often how we come to deeper truths in our lives by, you know, roundabout ways. In that story, you'll learn, I got a call from a client. This is back when I was a brand new lawyer in Charleston, South Carolina. And in Charleston, some people speak with accents. They have deep accents. And I got a call from an elderly woman who had an extremely unique accent. She said she needed a powerful attorney. And I said, I'm your man. You know, she said, I need a powerful attorney. I'd been referred to you. And I said, you, you came to the right place. And I'm your guy. Well, what she in fact needed was a power of attorney, which is not a complicated legal document, but it is a legal right. document, not, which I knew the not the first thing about preparing. And I learned about my mistake when she came into the office. She turned out to be a delightful lady. And I worked with her over the course of the next several years as a lawyer off and on. So that story became the story, the most powerful attorney in the world, about a misunderstanding that led to a great relationship. Well, I haven't had a chance to read your book, but it says in in the description, some of your stories involve movies, baseball, and the law. And I'm intrigued definitely by the movies and the baseball, because we, in our programs, we use film a lot and film clips to illustrate issues and, you know, films back to stories, films are stories. But I'm curious about the references to movies and baseball. 
Well, your CLEs, by the way, Michael, are fantastic. They're some of the best I've ever been to because they're fun. You make it fun. I grew up in a small town where they had a single movie theater, and I I went to the films a lot because it was near my home. I could walk there. I played baseball a lot. So those were some of the formative things in my life. And consequently, a lot of the stories spring from memories and, and connections made from movies and baseball. It all works really well. And this book's got it all, Michael. It has got it all. You owned and ran a a record shop, a coffee shop? Michael, it was a combination record shop, coffee store. But I had the great fortune of running Vinyl Perk in a town called Pocatello, Idaho, and also in Carborough, North Carolina, which is where I'm calling from right now. We had two stores and they just a lot of fun. We sold coffee. We sold old school vinyl records, had some live entertainment, just a lot of fun. I also Mm. learned a lot of lessons by being, number one, the owner of a small business in a small town, but number two, running a customer service-oriented business like a a coffee shop. I learned a lot of lessons that are incorporated in the book about dealing with people. Wonderful, wonderful experience. I've had dreams for years of opening up a coffee shop slash community community meeting place that show movies and uh, have lectures and discussions and music. Maybe in retirement, I'll do that. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to talk to you first to see what it was like for you. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> Maybe I'll like change any- my mind after you tell me about, you know, it doesn't look as pretty from the inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like anything you get into it. it running a business is hard work. Yeah, sure. And it's day in and day out. So there is that part to it. But I'm also the parent of four children, four adult children now, young adults. And parenting is hard work. Um, And a lot of it wasn't that fun. You know, I didn't really dig diapers and stuff like that. But the broader view is it was great. It was awesome. And that's sort of how it was running, running a small shop. It taught me the customer is not always right, but you should act as if they're right. That's all that means. Don't pick a fight with them. It's pretty simple. Uh, One of my professors in my intro counseling course said, you need to allow people, if they're angry, you need to allow them to climb up Mad Mountain. And (laughs) if you get in the way, and getting in the way means if if you don't listen, if you don't show them respect, if you feel like they haven't been heard, they're going to fall all the way back down to the bottom. And they still got to get to the top of Mad Mountain. So you need to let them get to the top as fast as possible. What do you think about that? That sounds like wisdom to me. That story goes back to choice and and story itself, because you make a choice as to how you dealt with the customers. Consequences flow from that choice. Talk a little bit more about your law life, LLC. You describe it here as provides consultation and content for lawyers and firms on practice success, well-being, and, and I underlined this when I was reading it, when you sent it to me, loving your law life. Because I could have used that help years ago when I was not loving my law life and decided to leave the practice and become a counselor. So say, say a little bit more about what you do. With your law life, what I try to do is bring my 40 years of working with lawyers, including working with many who are seeing their worst day. And I try to bring that experience into helping attorneys now in whatever way they need. And it might mean that they're just stressed about reopening in this pandemic and they just need to be heard. You mentioned it a minute ago. We all need to be acknowledged. We need to be heard. And often that's all we need. We know what to do. So I work with law firms and lawyers on those issues. I also work on more nuts and bolts issues like the messaging on their website, because that tells a story, the colors on your website, your logo, your tagline. 
So I work on practical issues like that on running their office. And then I work with law-related businesses like Lawyers Mutual. They're one of my longstanding partners, and I do a lot of their content. I write their content. I uh, work on projects with them on the same sorts of issues, enjoying your life, avoiding trouble. But we try to make it positive. Instead of avoiding trouble, loving what you do, thriving, becoming a powerful attorney. What have you learned over the years about the practice of law that makes it so difficult for so many lawyers to find contentment to thrive? That's a great question. And I found that many lawyers point to outside issues, advertising, too many lawyers, the state bar, Legal education doesn't train us the right way, whatever. They point to outside issues. And certainly things have changed in my lifetime. Technology is messed up being a lawyer. It's no fun anymore. Certainly things have changed. But from my perspective, there have been just as many good things that have resulted from those changes as bad. And the best way that I can help lawyers is by framing it as a story. What story are you telling yourself? And Mm -hmm. probably somebody who's blaming something on the outside technology or advertising is telling a story that that ended years ago. We're in we're in the computer. This is the world. This is the way law is practiced these days. So they're telling a story that's out of date. So yeah. stories are often a good, easy, available access point so that we connect with each other. Many lawyers get out and they hate what they do for a lot of reasons, but they feel they have to act as if they do. So there's authenticity already set in. They're disillusioned already, but they feel they can't really express that. Some do that. I'm not saying all. So authenticity, finding what you do challenging, exciting, Telling yourself a story contains those elements. And if not, then find a different story and start now because nobody's going to show up and say, wake up, get out of bed like that beautiful poem you just read about really mindfulness. Nobody's going to come shake you up and they can't do it anyway. We have to do it ourselves. When you say to tell yourself a story, you're talking about the story that we say to ourselves about ourselves and about our lives and our relationships, right? I am, yes. Yeah. The story is just the words that I use. But yeah, what I'm getting at is just being honest with yourself. What story are you telling yourself? Oh, I love my life. I love what I do. If that's the true story, that is fantastic. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great story. And I would say, keep telling that story. The story has to be genuine, right? It can't be just putting rose-colored glasses on. That can't be. If you are miserable in your job, to just say, I love my job, that's not going to work. For many of us, we pick the negative things to focus on. And you're saying, let's look at what's going well. In my approach to counseling, one of the approaches I take is something called solution-focused therapy. And when a lawyer comes into my office with a problem, often the homework I give is to look for exceptions to the problem. When is the problem not there? So if a lawyer comes in and says, I'm, I'm depressed, I'm unhappy, I, I don't like practicing law, and then the homework is, okay, pay attention to times where you're feeling just a little bit happier or just liking your job a little bit more, even if it's for five minutes, and note what's different about those times, and then come back and let's talk about it. And it's basically going to school on yourself. And can you do more of that? And maybe not. I mean, maybe there's nothing you can do to really enjoy the practice of law. And that's what happened with me. But maybe it will make a difference to do more of what you are noticing that's making you happy and and content. I think you're a great professional. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate all of your compliments. I'm going to play this podcast back to me once a week. Pull it out whenever you you get discouraged. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Your stories always have an impact on me, your columns. So just wanted to put that out there. 
Thank you. I know they work because I get good comments from them and I enjoy doing them, Michael. That's so important. I love doing them. That's a lesson for thriving lawyers, which I'm sure you, you know and you teach, which is when you're having fun, when you're doing what you like, good things will work out. People will notice that. I'm not saying any of this stuff is easy. <laughs> it's possible. And I know it's possible. It's changing habits. It's, and that's where mindfulness comes in. Mindfulness help, helps us break out of habitual ways of acting and habitual ways of reacting to events in our life. It just gives us the opportunity to make a different choice. When we're not mindful, we get into just this automatic way of, of reacting to events, of reacting to adversity. And it shows up, one of the best examples, it shows up in relationships. If we're not mindful, reacting in the same way to similar issues that are going to come up in our relationships. So we're talking about individual lawyers and what they can do differently. What have you noticed that's changed systemically? Because an individual lawyer can do all he or she wants to improve his or her well-being. But then if they're working in a practice that is unhealthy, then that makes the challenge even harder to thrive. Yes. Great question. And very relevant because from what I observe, the profession has a lot of problems. Uh, There's a lot of dysfunction in the profession. And I think some young lawyers get out and they look around and go, what the heck? You know, how did I end up here? Or why did I choose this? It's hard work. And I don't mean that to say it shouldn't be hard, but there are pressures and tensions that don't exist in all professions. And law school is so expensive and you come out with so much debt. There's so many problems. Law schools themselves and now current months have thrown everything, even attending school into question. So there's a lot of tough stuff going on in the profession. But what I can do for lawyers is I can help them with some practice management stuff like their websites and their content and the, the literal stories that they're telling the world through their the way they do their business, or I can listen to them. I can be present and available to them and hear them and maybe offer some lessons or stories from my own experience on their own longings or desires or, mm-hmm. or burnout. So I can just be there and hear that story because that's often all they need is to have somebody hear that story and then they can take off. They can run with it. Do you work with entire firms? Generally, one-on-one lawyers. Firms would be more of a presentation. Because firms tell stories about themselves too, right? The firm culture. Of course. So that would be interesting to work with a a smaller firm on the story they say about themselves. That's a great thought, Michael, Mm -hmm. because the stories that law firms tell Mm -hmm. are hugely important for recruiting new lawyers, for retaining those lawyers, for maintaining viability and being successful. And the stories that worked a few years ago won't work in the future. You know, that we've been around forever and we've had lawyers. Who cares? Nobody cares about that. Can you do the job and what will you charge? That's a great subject. One quick story or an abbreviated version of the story from the book is the chili dog that changed a law life, the meaning of life in a chili dog. And in that story, you will meet a young lawyer who was working in Charleston, South Carolina, had been out of law school a few years and had no clients, no business, no clients, and wondered, what the heck am I doing here? Why did I go to law school? I should have been an accountant. Uh, But every lunch would go across the street to a hot dog stand and get a chili dog. And it was the best chili dog he ever had. And the attendant was named Brenda. And Brenda served it with a smile and delivered this great chili dog. And long story short, he came to see that probably Brenda wasn't inherently enthusiastic about cooking hot dogs or serving hot dogs. She just had a positive attitude. She told a positive story, was at least faking it pretty well, that she enjoyed what she was doing. So this lawyer picked up those lessons 
What happened with the lawyer then? The lawyer decided, number one, she's out there under her umbrella every day. So I need to stick with this. I've only been out of school six months or uh-huh. a year. So I need to have a little persistence. A couple of years went by. He starts getting clients. He's learning what he's doing. She, she couldn't make hot dogs right away. She had to learn. Mm-hmm. She probably had to learn how to deal with customers. And at the end of the story, he's shopping at service merchandise. And the cashier is positive and happy and enthusiastic. Hello, look what you got here. That'll be $2. Thank you for coming. And he looks and it's Brenda. It's the hot dog lady. And, and she's now working at service merchandise. And it's the same Brenda. So he learned, wow. you know, oh, it isn't the job. It's not out there. It's not the cooking hot dogs or practicing law. That's not going to bring me anything. It's in here. You know, what am I bringing to the job? That's going to make me a great lawyer. Again, it's called The Most Powerful Attorney in the World. You can find it on Amazon. I plan on getting a copy. One of the things among many that I take from that story is when you're telling your story isn't necessarily about using words. It's how you are. Yes. It's the nonverbals. It's uh, how you present yourself. That's also how you tell your story, right? Exactly. It's the, the law associate you meet in the in the hallway. How's it going? And they're looking down at their mm-hmm. feet and they're grumbling. Oh, everything's fine. But you know, everything isn't fine. You know, they've got some issues going on. That's a red flag. Well, Jay, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. And boy, I'd love to uh, connect with you. When we're traveling again, post pandemic, I will let you know. I'd love to sit down and have some coffee with you. Well, it's mutual. You're doing good work. You too. I, I think the profession needs more conversation like this, and it needs to be just as important as billable hours. And there's a need for what you're what you're doing. And thank you for having me. Thank you, Jay. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We will see you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast.